Hey there, we're the West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowski. Oh my god, it's the full time boys! Oh, here we go. <laughs> buddy. Um, we have made it through uh, a winter of terrible men's basketball, uh, very exciting women's basketball, <laughs> a spring of very, very exciting women's lacrosse and softball, a summer of previews, and gentlemen, it's here. It's it's game week. We are going to Stanford this weekend on Saturday, and we're starting up football season. Yeah, depth chart just dropped yesterday. Uh, it let the hand wringing of Northwestern Nation uh, commence off of off of the depth chart. And what does it mean? What does this mean? What does that mean? We're going to get into some of that, but I think we were kind of talking and. You know, if anyone who's been listening to our team previews, you know that we're kind of going. We've kind of gone position by position, and in some cases, player by player with some teams. But um, I think we're doing things a little bit different, and yet similarly with the Cats. Partly because um, we know there are so many questions out there, and also because we know that unlike some of the other teams in you know that we've previewed. So many of the names we'll be bringing up will be names that you're all very familiar with. But, uh, well, but. well, and well, and on that point too, like, you know, it, it was it was clear that this is true of of Northwestern's campus right now. Like, we've been jacked up about this year's squad since the end of last season, since before last season when Hunter Johnson announced his attention to transfer to Northwestern. I, like, like this. We were excited last year as we were going through our previews. As we got about two thirds of the way through, we started looking at each other, going, "Huh, this 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 is looking promising." And I, you know, I can't lie, I think we're feeling similar right now, and the excitement's palpable. And as a result, like I feel like I feel like we know this team so well. So much of that is because we got so much coming back, and on top of it, we've just been drinking up every possible iota of information that we that we can over the last what 16 to 18 months and and before we really dive in i I do want to mention for uh, a really wonderful discussion on the feeling on campus and kind of uh, a sense of what um, we're looking at from the students perspective go and take a listen to our interview with ella brockway um, a little bit a couple pods back in the feed definitely worth uh, worth having a listen to that uh, she definitely has her finger on the pulse of of the Northwestern student and kind of the way things are being examined on campus. Plus, she's got a you know she's been to she's been to practice. She has a rapport with a lot of the coaches, so her insights on on a lot of these things were really really great. Yeah, the 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 rapport with the coaches. It was obvious she was you know kind of going over notes that she had taken in interviews as she was talking to us. It was just phenomenal. Like she really knows her stuff. Uh, it was it was great for us to um, get a chance to to hear from her and to have that conversation. I you know I was really excited that she had come to some of the same conclusions that we have. That just just feels good. Feels good. The stars are aligning. So let's talk about, I mean, John, you mentioned that the depth chart dropped. Um, I, I mean, it, going through it, there's not a ton of huge surprises. I mean, I think, you know, the, the question around quarterback, we, we all know, and we've all known for a long time, 
this was not going to be announced in the depth chart. So, you know, and we can we can wring our hands over it. I'm still convinced that a decision has been made. And, you know, in, in I guess I'll be proven wrong or right on Saturday when either number 10 or number 15 lines up under center. Yeah, and I think, you know, they're... <clears throat> That position group relative, you know, to the offensive side of the ball, quarterback, the presentation of it on the depth chart went about as we expected it was going to go. I think there were other positions that I think maybe in a little bit more detail we can get to when we talk about the offense where there were some some surprises to be had. Um, And, you know, Scuds and I I think a little bit later, maybe going to go a little bit back and forth on, you know. Uh, glass half full, glass half empty on the way that we're reading these things. But the, I think for me personally, one of the big things was things very much looked as I think we all expected them to look on the defensive side of the ball. And that's basically one of the things that that means is that guys are healthy on the defensive side of the ball. And given all the talent that we've got coming in, that we've got coming back and coming into the depth chart there, that has me feeling pretty good. So maybe we jump in and, and focus on the defense first. I'd love to bury this quarterback lead for a little bit. Feels like we have a bit more to, to maybe talk about on offense later. Let's let's go to let's go to the bedrock, the heart of this team, the soul of this team. I mean, was there a single position that was a surprise here? No. Not not to me. I mean linebackers Gallagher Fisher and Bergen I mean that that was we, we that's what we knew um I, I guess the the only one for me is the, that Trevor Kent's starting but I mean I I don't have a complaint there and they rotate enough guys on the defensive oh, yeah. line it doesn't matter all eight of those guys are gonna play and be good I'm not nine, worried about nine that. nine yeah right um there I mean if if you want me to dig for a surprise it's the Cam Ruiz wasn't on the two deep at corner. Um, and I still expect that we'll see a lot of him. I'm sure we will. Yeah. We, I mean, I honestly, and, and maybe this was a little bit obtuse of me, but um, when Trey Williams was announced as a captain, my first reaction to that was, well, Trey's starting. Um, and uh, and I, clearly he's the leader of the unit. I think Williams is a guy who... Um, you know, to this point, you know, he's been a solid corner, not certainly not spectacular, um, and has distinguished himself really as a great athlete first, and then maybe, you know, a solid corner second. But where where I thought he really established himself last year, and we haven't had somebody in this role really since uh, Keith Watkins got injured after, what, the 2015 season, but I felt like that's where, where he really established himself in that nickel corner spot able to defend the run, tackling in space, attacking the backfield. I, I think he, he caused a, a, a key fumble in the in the bowl game against Utah. I He's listed as you know a starting corner on the outside. I'm sure in base sets we're going to see him there. I would not be surprised to see him move inside, uh, and whether it's Campbell or Hampton hopping out. Maybe Cam Ruiz, to your point earlier, and, John. Well, and, so, and to a larger point, too, I think, you know, for people – getting excited about Cam Ruiz. First of all, you'll see him. And second of all, at this stage in his young career, a lot of what Cam Ruiz is bringing to the table is about what fifth-year senior Trey Williams is bringing to the table in terms of a ton of athleticism and ability to hit and maybe cover skills that are a little bit farther down the line. Um, But 
when you look at the starting corners, um, you've got between Newsom and Williams, you've got two guys that are great athletes that are willing to hit. And again, it's when you fold that into the safeties who, again, our tandem of safeties are two of one of the best tandems of safeties in the conference are foursome of safeties. Yeah. My goodness. I mean, it's, and, and, and again, I think one of the things that I really wanted to talk about, and it's important. And and we mentioned earlier, we're going to do it a little bit differently. Instead of really going person by person, we want to kind of hit a couple overall things about the units and then talk about, well, how does it relate to Stanford? So given that everybody knows, okay, really this unit lost, you know, Jordan Thompson and Nate Hall, but is otherwise stacked with talent. And, but it's important also to understand that this team was one of the three, statistically, one of the three worst passing defenses in the conference last year. And then to try to make sense of that and try to make sense, well, what does that mean relative to how Northwestern set out as a whole? And in case anyone is wondering. I think there are a couple of interesting teams to juxtapose the Cats with. Um, The obvious one that stands out with a bullet is Michigan State. Michigan State is the definite defense that is most similar to our defense in the conference. They just do it a little bit better than us. Well, And, well, and, and we've talked about this in the past. We run the exact same defensive scheme as them. Right. And it's, and to that point, Yes, everyone's saying, oh, yeah, but like Michigan State, they gave up 77 yards a game on the ground. Well, yeah, our run defense wasn't great compared to that. It was great compared to every other team in the Big Ten. We had the third best run defense in the conference last year. And the only team that was remotely in a similar boat in terms of being amazing against the run and less good against the pass was Michigan State. They were better against us in the run, and they were a little bit better against us in the pass as well. But it's not just a talent thing because Michigan State's defense is absolutely stacked with talent. Our defense is loaded with talent too. But just like us, and we talked about it in the Michigan State preview, Michigan State just doesn't prioritize pass defense. Their secondary is not built around pass defense. Their defensive line is not built to get sacks. Now, they happen to have a defensive end right now who's great at doing that, but that is not by design. Their design is just to strangle the run right out of you, and then they'll take what you're going to try to put together on third down. And basically, anyone who who has watched the Mike Hankowitz era at Northwestern knows we basically try to do the same thing. We tend so to get a l- 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 let me interrupt you there. Um, wh- why is that the case? I mean, is that just a, a, a product of trying to keep things in front of you, you know, given, you know, play between the twenties kind of thing. And like when they get in the red zone, lock it down. Is that, it is, it is fascinating to look at it, right? Like compare it with a team like Illinois, who at least under the Levy Smith era, but I feel like you could back up even a little bit farther than that has always prioritized speed on the ends and been like, well, these guys are going to get sacks and it's like, okay, but they're going to get flattened on running downs. And Northwestern has just decided to do it the other way. I mean, Afadi. Um, was kind of an outlier. And even a guy like Ernest Brown has bulked up a ton. Um, and Afadi, I mean, gosh, he's displaying strength with the Minnesota Vikings right now that I'm like, good God, like, good God, man. Um, it's like getting Wisconsin Afadi all the time. But 
but the but you know for whatever reason it's our defensive line is just built a certain way and Gaz is capable of getting to the quarterback but he is a large guy who is incredibly strong um, and can play tackle or end I mean a Dean Lowry would be this you know a similar type of guy right and I think again it's funny to juxtapose it with Stanford because. When the identity of our team is so clear, and and it's important too, because as Northwestern fans, we look at the rest of the nation looking at the Northwestern pass defense, and then trying to like quote figure out how we were able to pull off all these wins. It's an identity, and it's done deliberately. And we all know Hankwitz has that thing. He'll give you that flat route again and again and again, and then he'll slip Nate Hall out there, or he'll slip Gaziano out there, and he'll see if you screw up. And sooner or later, he's guessing that we're going to get enough pressure to fluster you and take you out of your game. And in between that, you're not going to be able to run the ball. And we're not saying it's perfect. 12th in pass defense in the conference is not where we're looking to be. Um, We're looking to put together a better pass defense than that. But you can just look at Michigan State and be like, okay, so that's clearly what we're aiming for. And it's, it's not that big of a jump. There, there is a small difference, and that's I, I think, I think everything you're saying is true. I think Hankowitz dials, dials and dishes a little bit differently than the way Michigan State does, because the Spartans have talked about the fact that at the snap of the ball, their linebackers are taking steps forward to fill running lanes, and like, like they're not just prioritizing suffocating the run; they are actively like leaning into that at the expense of their pass defense. We don't do that. Um, we also, you know, I don't think Michigan state gives the the cushion on the outside that we do a lot of times in the secondary. Now, some of that certainly is about the athleticism in the cornerbacks, but I think, I think Hankowicz takes a little bit more of a flexible approach uh, to how he does things. And then, you know, We've talked about the cheetah package in the past, where we where we do go after the quarterback um, with a really rush focused uh, defensive line on third downs. Uh, I I think we'll see that a lot against Stanford this year, especially that the interior of their offensive line is turned over. Like, why wouldn't you want Joe Gaziano uh, trying to go up the middle against against some guys that are in their first collegiate action? Um, so I like I think Northwestern as a result we don't we we never have the absolute lockdown rushing stats, rushing defensive stats that Michigan State does, but we also don't get torched by Clayton Thorson for 380 yards, right? So Well, so well, it's you know, it's it's funny too because we're we're pretty darn close to Michigan State's run defense right now. To the extent that anybody is, Northwestern and I were the only teams close. I mean, that's how good our run defense was last year. It's funny what you mentioned um, scuds and again I don't want to go down the road of other teams too much but to your point about Michigan State the ultimate example of what you're talking about with that and this is a place where again you can understand how two teams that seem vaguely statistically similar are also super similar super different is comparing Purdue's defense and Northwestern's defense Purdue unlike Michigan State is operating from a position of weakness on defense and understanding that they've got to try to scheme and take major risks against the run to succeed. And 
because of that, you can see why Purdue had by far the worst pass defense in the conference last year. It's a difference between letting teams take big chunks underneath against you and and trying to find a spot to make an impact play and just flooding the box and then just getting torched over the top, which is what yeah. happened to Purdue. Yeah, that's a really salient point because so much of the of the yardage that comes against Northwestern is almost orchestrated by Northwestern, right? Right, like, exactly. Um, and, like, we may tear our hair out over that, but it's part of the plan, and that's, like, yeah. one of the important things to understand. Um, f- f- fans, get get ready for 10-yard cushions. You're going right. to see it. It's going to happen. It's a right. strategy. And look at the, like, what, 36 wins in the last four years? Like, it's a strategy that works. There's there's one other thing that I want to throw out here, John, and that's – those those pass numbers, like yes, Northwestern was was bad on on pass last year, our pass defense last year. Part of that equation is Greg Newsom, your breakout player for the year last year, and wow, how uh, like Nostradamus um, like predictions right there. I must say, because he was uh, he was amazing to, to, to where you're going for a time. <laughs> Well, he was amazing until he got hurt, right? right. And then he, like, he, I think he played the first four games. He was incredible against Purdue. Um, and then Montre Hardage, in the back half of the year, missed what the last four or five games, including uh, you know only played part part of the bowl, uh, part of the Big Ten championship, and not any of the bowl game, I believe. So, like there were some there were some holes where guys like like Trey Williams got a ton of run last year. Um, Cam Ruiz, we we even saw we saw Roger Campbell come in in some critical spots and and play strong. Uh, so I like that. That's one of the things. Like part of the reason we look at the secondary and we're so excited about it. It's it's the talent. It's the pedigree of some of these guys. It's also the fact that we've seen them on the field. We've seen Trey Williams grow, find his niche uh, in the defense. I, I I like. I feel so good about this group. And I think coming off of the end of last year, even in our burning questions, I think over the summer we looked at quarterback and thought, "Ooh, we're a little bit worried there." I'm not so worried anymore. I think too, like. If you ask me, like, in like statistically defensive wise, what am I really worried about? And it's funny, one of on you know on the Ravels boards, one of our listeners commented on it and commented on the, the the interception numbers we were throwing out. This like eleven interception mark for a couple of these teams, and was like, well, Northwestern had only twelve. Well, I'd double down on that and be like, and a bunch of those were Nate Hall. So, I think on one hand, you're like. Yes, but Montre Hardage still made an incredible statistical contribution last year. But the larger point was, yeah, a ton of these guys were hurt. And at least against Stanford, and I think, you know, Skaza, I I definitely want to get some of your specific thoughts about Stanford relative to this defense. But one of the biggest things is this group is really healthy right now. And it's the I'm, beginning of the year. Everyone should be healthy. I mean, at this point, well, you, right? You, you'd think, but we're going to get to the offensive depth chart in a little bit. Um and, I mean, I think given that, the overall group, especially at corner, which is a potential position of relative lack of depth compared to linebacker, sweet Jesus, and defensive line, bigger sweet Jesus, um, The I think it's good that we're coming out against them healthy. But again, like Scuzz just said, you have to accept the fact that part of the reason we don't get as many interceptions is because we play a little bit softer and we play a little bit looser and we're not bringing heat on, on a lot of these guys. And we just wait for opportunities and look to take them. And to all to the point of all that, right, Scuzz talked about in the Stanford preview, but we're going up against a guy who is a cannon-armed tree trunk who is going to be back in that pocket with a gun for an arm um, looking to pick things apart. Uh, he was compared, I think, I think 
I want to say, was it Fitz compared him to Daniel Jones, which yep. we which we did ourselves on the Stanford pod. And um, you know, if if he's the sixth pick in the NFL draft next year, ooh. yeah, right. I'm yeah. sorry, I, I I had to take another shot, but probably I mean, by you the, know, it, by the yeah, Casello is is being really considered as a one of the top quarterback talents to be looking at the draft next year. He's he's got a lot of talent, uh, but like we've said, he doesn't have a lot of movement. No, he well, and it's interesting because some of our defensive players talked about how he, you know, he's surprisingly athletic at times, but it's just not what you saw from him last year. Like, yes, if 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 the pocket is holding and you know, the coverage all floods downfield and there's nobody left, like sure he's going to take off and pick up a first down, gain 8 yards or something, but what you don't see him doing is extending plays by moving outside the pocket, uh, by avoiding the pass rush. Like his his deals, he drops back and he steps up and he throws, and that's you know that's not great for for getting to him from a pass rush standpoint. But it also is. I mean, that's an Achilles heel of Northwestern where we lose contain on a guy and he gets outside and, and is able to find a target and make a move. That's I mean, you go back to to Dwayne Haskins in the Big Ten championship game. It's something we've talked a lot about. So. Here's a couple of interesting things about Costello that I, I dug back in, and I think you know the big the big the big ticket deal on on Stanford's offense this year. Everyone's everyone's talking about Costello, and one of the I won't say it's a throwaway line because people are serious about it, but one of the lines that always comes up is, "Oh, he's lost his biggest targets." And if you recall, his biggest targets last year were <laughs> JJ Arthiga Whiteside. Uh, who caught 83 balls for 1,000 yards, including 14 touchdowns. Trenton Irwin, who was uh, 700 yards. And tight end Caden Smith, another 600 yards. It's 190 passes, 2,300 yards, and 18 touchdowns that are gone from this receiving core. That's a lot of relationships that KJ Costello had with his receiving core that are no longer around. Now, they have an outstanding tight end in Kobe Park- Colby Parkinson. He's really, really good. He's going to be just fine. He played a fair amount last year. They've got absurd amounts of talent at wide receiver. One of the things I talked about in the preview was, like, their talent is unproven, and it's young. But could they take advantage of our secondary and, and with on, on the back of, you know, Costello's leadership and seniority? Like, absolutely. Here's where I, get, I start to get a little excited, because Bryce Love is gone. And with the changeover of those targets, like you're looking, you're looking for something from last season that gives you some sort of perspective on what this team's going to look like with those pieces out of the mix, right? So let's look at the Sun Bowl. Stanford played Pitt in the Sun Bowl. They won this game fourteen to thirteen. Pitt was not some juggernaut of a team last year, right? They were solid defensively. They were not great offensively, but. In that game, Costello, without his three big targets, 35% completion rate, got sacked three times. Stanford's offensive strategy was basically to use Cameron Scarlett, their running back, who's going to be the starter this year, as a bludgeon. He carried the ball 22 times. He gained 94 yards. He scored two TDs. It was just barely enough to beat Pitt in a bowl game. Now, granted, these guys have had all summer to work on their chemistry. They've had spring practice. They've had fall ball it's going to be a little bit different. Here's where I go and look at the matchups that Costello had last season against good defenses. These are there are, there are four defenses that they played that were better than Northwestern statistically. 
I'll also argue that three of those defenses play in the Pac-12, and that's a big question mark. <laughs> um, and then USC, who's a little bit a little bit below below Northwestern. And as I go through this, there's going to be two of these teams that we can directly calibrate against what we expect from Northwestern against Stanford. So Washington, number four defense in the country, uh, 29 to 43 for 347 yards, two TDs. However, three picks and one sack. They lost by four. Against Notre Dame, the number 10 team uh, defense of the country, 56% completion, one TD, one pick, five sacks, 21-point loss. At Cal, number 13 defense in the country, 62% completion, one TD, three sacks. They won by 10. Cal's offense was crap. Utah, 63% completion, one TD, two picks, four sacks, 19-point loss. And then against USC, who was, again, a worse defense than Northwestern. 60% completion, one TD, no other drama. But point being, like, these five games, like, yes, Costello put up some yards in some of these games. He had to because they were down big and they started just throwing the ball willy-nilly. That Notre Dame game where he only threw 27 passes, that USC game where he only threw 27 passes, that's what Stanford wants to play. They want to play the same way Pat Fitzgerald wants to play. They want to shorten this game. They want to minimize the number of times they're throwing the ball. They want to bludgeon us with Cameron Scarlett. They came to Evanston four years ago and tried to do just that, and their plan A didn't work, and they didn't have a plan B. And this time around, they're going to do the exact same thing. I think we're going to stop their running game. They've got a lot of changeover in the interior of their offensive line. It's a good matchup for our freaking stacked defensive line. And their plan B is going to be Costello throwing to these receivers that he's got very, very little live game experience with against, again, our stacked secondary. Yeah, completely agree. And and I think a big part of the question is how quick can he get it out because our off our defensive line may not be the greatest at getting sacks, but it's great at getting sacks against this type of player. And I think we'll I think we're going to collapse the pocket, and I think we're going to make some difference. I like yeah I I feel pretty good about this. I could feel better about it, um, but I do think if if you know corners and safeties keep balls in front of them, keep underneath passes from turning into big plays. Um, and you know like we played Duke at the beginning of the year, tackling was an issue in that game, especially early on, and then we closed down in the second half and just couldn't come back and get the win. But the it's it's just that if we come out and have good tackling discipline against the pass and make them have to walk it up the field, I think combined with the way that they're the struggles they're going to have running the ball, I think that'll be enough to get it done on that side of the ball. So flipping our focus a little bit to the other side of the ball, if you will, um, and again, I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about this Green Johnson. Uh, or can, can I can I like let me take like thirty seconds on it and okay. then I think we could probably move on. I mean, like we, we, whoever it is, whatever happens, like whatever. I, I think both guys are probably going to play some in this game. We're probably going to see both guys this year. I I really liked Ella's comment on our podcast last week around all the coaches, all the players have said like, look, this is not the first time we've done this, and you could argue that in the past they've not made great choices. However, many of those have been injury-driven. So the the situation last year with Thorson and Green, that was all about Thorson's pitch count. Go back to the Coulter-Simeon 2013 year where, where things kind of came off the rails. 
it worked the prior year. And and I, I think they were trying to, to, to catch lightning in a bottle again and teams just had it figured out and the pieces didn't fit and it kinda all it kinda all went to pieces. The fact that they put Coulter in at QB in two thousand twelve is a real testament. The fact like the way Mike Kafka developed during the course of his career, the way Trevor Simeon developed the court during the course of his career, the choice to start Clayson Clayton Thorsman as a true freshman in twenty fifteen. These were all good decisions, and these were all things that really bore out over time. And I would like to think that whatever the deal is, like if if TJ Green walks out on the field to start this game, like everybody who has watched Hunter Johnson throw passes is like, dude, this kid is good. He's got a huge ceiling. He looks really awesome. But maybe TJ knows the offense better, and as a result, is going to run it better. Whatever that decision is, I think it's going to be ultimately a decent decision. I, I think both guys are going to play play this year. I have far more concerns on on the effectiveness of our of our running game and what happens with our super backs. But like whatever happens at QB, I think we're going to be all right. Is that fair? I think so. I mean, we al- we also don't need we also don't need the quarterback this year to be a five-star phenom i i i don't really agree i just am not <laughs> I capable tried. i tried so hard i'm just i'm just not capable of being like i want it to be hunter and i want hunter to be awesome that's what i want but i i i don't have any kind of deep analysis beyond that to offer up um, well, I, I, know, I, I think know, I think that's, people are people John, are looking at. I, yeah. I I think that's the thing. It's like we have not seen him play. Like everything, like all of the analysis leading up to this, everyone is you know talking on potential. Let's see what he looks like on Saturday. He'll play on Saturday, right. guaranteed. Sure. Let, sure. Let's I've, let's put some let's put some film. Let's put some action on tape and see what happens. For sure. No, to your point. And it's funny. I mean, on like you know the rivals boards and people like that people are studying tj green taking you know extra point snaps as a holder as like like it's the zapruder film and like analyzing you know what does it mean it's like i don't know i just i just want plenty of hunter and i want the guy to be great but but discuss his point right i mean it it's it's i'll i'll phrase it this way if we're going with a good dose of tj green the coaches must have seen something to make them very confident that he can get the job done. That is the way that I'll put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's ex- that's exactly where I'm going. And and the reality is, we will get to the heavy dose of Hunter Johnson that you want some point this season. I guarantee it. It's happening. Um, Fitz, if if Fitz was going to choose two games to lose this year, it would be the first two games of the year. Like. Yeah. I know it, it. It that is true, and it is true that this is it. We're all super attached to a, getting a big W here, and of course we should be. But this is also a great opportunity to kick the tires on some of our best players against big time competition for sure. So, so maybe we maybe we jump back into the rest of the death chart here on offense. Yeah, like, let's do it. S- similarly to the defense. Like I, I think there was a lot. I think we were, we were all very disappointed to not see Trey Pugh's name listed under Superback. But outside of that, I I didn't really have any surprises here. 
Yeah, the the biggest one to me, and again, I think Pew is less. It was less a surprise and more like a negative indicator. Because, yeah, yeah, because yeah. we have been very much speculating and speculated with Ella Brockway that like, look, we kind of you know the smokes, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire to an extent, and the signals do not look good coming out about him. And then to the question of, well, okay, so Charlie Mangieri is number one on the depth chart. What does that really mean? What it really means is we may be kicking the tires on a lot more wide receivers. But but we'll we'll see. The the main one for me was the lack of John Moten's name. And I think a lot of people, including one of my podcast mates on this very podcast, uh, are you know going to try to spin that in a positive direction relative to Drake Anderson. Um all I'll say on it is if if you look at the quarterback position and you – let's say we accept for a second a situation where Hunter Johnson is the guy and we just don't know it yet, right? There's a huge job, and not just with this depth chart, but with Big Ten Media Week and like the spring documentary and everything – to do right by TJ Green and position him as a leader and a, and, and a guy to to of the team. And it extends right up through this depth chart. We have him listed as an or with Hunter Johnson. But at the same position, in addition to that, you also have an or with Andrew Marty versus Aiden Smith, right? So there is this huge effort bending over backwards, right, to respect all four of these quarterbacks relative to the pecking order. And then in the running back depth chart, John Moten, who is a fifth year senior and with all due respect to every guy I just mentioned has been a much more meaningful contributor to the team in his career than any of those quarterbacks have is not even an or on the chart. And again, you could read that as Drake is showing out in practice I personally read it as Moten is hurt. And if Moten is hurt, that has me worried, if not so much for Stanford, about kind of like long-term depth at that position. Yeah, well, we talked a lot in our in our your deep dive recruiting over the summer, John, and other, in other spaces that like running back has been a place where we've we've produced some epic top top level talent. Um and like the, the guys that have gone through the starters role at, at running back for us are, are like the names are amazing, but the depth behind them has been, has been a real, a real trouble spot. And look, I'll be honest. Like I've, I, I knew nothing. Um, we talked, I talked last year. My theory was that looking at a guy like Drake Anderson at a guy like, um, Solomon vault, they're not built physically in the mold of the running back that the Northwestern offense wants to run. And, and yet last year we had, Chad Hanaoka taking meaningful snaps at, at the running back position, you know, against That's, Iowa in the bowl game. I mean, very, and, and, and to your point, very important. That's a very important part of this picture. Um, because we were the worst running team in the conference last year. And I think the, the shortest answer to that question is, is, I mean, we've talked ad nauseum about, you know, various offensive line issues and the offensive line improved throughout the season. But the bottom line is we started the year with a great running back and then he got hurt. And then we spent weeks searching for a replacement and we found him eventually. But I, given all of that, 
I I don't want to have to go looking for a guy again because I, given what happened last year and looking at the depth chart as it's currently laid out, um, I, I'm just furiously knocking that our big dog, Isaiah Bowser, stays healthy. Well, so, okay, on the Hanoka part, right, like, that's third down back, right? Yeah. Third down back can be a lot of things. Can be somebody with hands, can be somebody who's good at at doing a chip block. Like, Hanaoka was short of stature. Like, he had a lot of leverage (laughs) on rushers, (laughs) put it that way. And and he was, he like, there was an element of surprise there. I like he would rip off those eight or nine, nine yard runs on, on third down and no shade to Hanaoka, but like I might've been able to get four and a half on those, right? Like the holes were gargantuan Um, to, to that end. Like, so I'm, I'm going to weave a story here because if you look at, one one of my concerns right now, and th- these are linked. My cons- my my primary concern for this offense is that we went from a Garrett Dickerson, Justin Jackson led running attack to last year a Isaiah Bowser, Cam Green led running attack, and I'm just thinking about that Superbacks role in the blocking. Right, Green gave up like twenty to thirty pounds to Dickerson. He was listed at at two thirty last year, which is a real surprise. Was thing. he really? Yeah, he Whoa. was. And now you're looking at you know Mangieri is listed at two fifty. Same with Gones. Pew, I think, ch- checks in even even larger than that. You know when we talked to Ellis, she described Mangieri as more of a wide receiver type. There's there's a potential, right? That these superbacks bring a bit more heft and a bit more blocking power than cam green may have done last year there's also a chance that they bring a lot less in that space because cam green was a baller and was awesome so we could see a couple different things happen we could see northwestern run out kind of the same offensive sets that we saw last year which was generally a tight end three wideouts. that tight end was close into the line sometimes we'd split them out sometimes we wouldn't we'd often have them in tight when we were running Bowser was great at running through contact. If that's the scenario, then yeah, John, I am I am quite worried to not see John Moten up there and to see 5'11", 190, Drake Anderson listed as our second back because I don't think he runs well in that set. However, if we're now talking about a situation where we're taking the super back off the field and we're going to put McGowan, Lees, Skoranek, and RCB spread out across the field... Our offensive, well, we'll get to the offensive line in a minute, but I'm quite confident that we'll see an increase in enthusiasm from the, the blocking prowess in our offensive line. Um, now you're talking about a smaller back that has a lot a lot better chance to excel on the field. And I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm guessing here, right? Um, that's the scenario in which I could, I could see Drake Anderson really contributing and being um, kind of more than meets the eye, if if you will, based on recruiting and what we've seen in the past, et cetera. I like, but to be clear, it's a concern because, like, again, Cam Green was really, really good last year as a superback, and and following on the heels of Garrett Dickerson, who's maybe our best superback ever um, at Northwestern, and 
especially since I kind of consider Danny, Danny Vitale a fullback, but regardless, like there's a, there's a, if, if that happens, if our rushing attack, gets even more anemic from, from last year, like, like think back to, you know, Justin Jackson's first year or, um, you know, the year before that, where Northwestern really struggled to run the ball. We couldn't run black. We talked a lot about the fact that we had very athletic uh, offensive linemen. They didn't have beef to push other defenses around. And as a result, we were screaming from the stands for the coaches to be passing the ball more and more and more. This is where, this is where you start to get a domino effect of potential problems of if the running back, if the running game takes a step back because we're lacking the blocking or the depth at the running spot that just puts more pressure on the passing game. And then what happens with the quarterback? So that's, that's the doomsday doomsday scenario to me. The, um, the optimistic flip side of that is that we've got some, some concepts in our sleeve around revitalizing this offense that relate to the fact that, yeah, we've got a five-star QB back there now and B offensive line has been the bugaboo for this offense for 10 years, at least. We've not had a top-flight offensive lineman since since Zach Streif. And during the Randy Walker era, we had a number of offensive linemen end up in the NFL for several years. And we talked about it in our last podcast. Adam Cushing was a head coach in training. He's gone off to be a head coach. Kurt Anderson lives and breathes and dies for offensive line. And I, I know for a fact he is impacting the offensive line right now today. Their attitude, their technique, their training, how they're approaching the game, the the nastiness which they're going to deploy. I, I talked about the enthusiasm for blocking. I, I think you're going to see a different level of play from the offensive line this year. And if you look at if you look at what Thorson and Trevor both struggled with as quarterbacks at Northwestern, only to then get pulled into the NFL and certainly with Trevor, see some real success. We'll see, you know, with Clayton is still TBD, but their biggest problem in college was sacks and breakdowns in protection and breakdowns in the offensive line. And if we see a modicum of improvement on that this year from our offensive line, which I am bought into and expecting to see that to me opens up everything else on the offense that we just talked about and flips many of those potential problem spots into potential opportunities. Absolutely. And, and to offer a little bit of a, of a soft pivot to Stanford here, because again, to work in, what does this all mean for Stanford? As again, we painted a picture where Stanford has some things they do really well on offense. And, but, we think, you know, we painted a picture that, look, we think we have a way to work with that and find a way to deal with that. The offense is the better side of the team. This is not the defense that came here four years ago, okay? It's not. They lost a couple of their best players from last year, and they're not bringing a heck of a lot back. It's funny, there aren't too many surprises on Stanford's, you know, pregame depth chart, but one was... They, I mean, they really lost their two middle linebackers were really arguably their two best players aside from their starting cornerback, uh, Paulson Adebo. And they lost both of those guys. And then we were like, well, we think it'll be one of these guys. And now it's like, it looks like it's not even going to be like the guy, this guy, Gabe Reed. He's going to be like a backup. They just have a lot of flux. 
And again, this is a team that was not particularly great on defense last year. And for all the hand-wringing I'm doing about running back, this ain't week eight. It's week one. And we're trotting out Isaiah Bowser with a hungry offensive line. And he can do just fine against this defense, okay? Again, don't get caught up in the laundry too much. And yes, they've got some big recruits, but this is not a defense that performed particularly well last year. And they lost their two best front seven players. And both of them were middle linebackers. So I'm confident about our starting running back. And again, yes, as Scuzz alluded, I wrote a giant piece on recruiting and the fact that we are often paper-thin depth-wise at running back, but tend to have a big pony out front. We had four solid years of that, and then we were looking at another year of that with Jeremy Larkin, and then he got hurt, and now we have it again. And so again, yeah, the unit that we're going to be bringing out against Stanford, against the run, is better than what they're going to be throwing up against it. And if you think of that as a position of worry, and then you're like, well, look, I mean, like, that's that's where the positive. It's like, look, if it's TJ Green even, and TJ's like, well, I've got this figured out, you know, I can distribute given the success we're having on the ground, or if it's Hunter and Hunter's just, I'm about to blow the doors off the world. Either way, fantastic. But the wideouts, it's all there. I mean, like, Paulson Adebo's a phenomenal corner who can take one of our wide receivers away. And the other wideouts are going to be able to find ways to get open, and we're probably going to be able to run the ball. <clears throat> and it's, again, it's like all of those things are pretty good. Now, if you take me through the whole season and, like, a potential train ride, like, I'm sure glad hearing that a guy like Jesse Brown is healthy enough to come in and take reps. Ella Brockway talked about the, the workload Bowser's potentially looking at. And it's like, on one hand, yeah, we want him taking as many carries as possible. On the other hand, we need to find ways to spell him. And, you know, if that's Drake Anderson on third down or in spread packages, super. Um, But for this game, for game one, with Isaiah and that line raring to go, like, we're ready for this defense. I am confident in that. One thing we didn't really talk about with any of our previews and you know special teams is you know kind of a a subject we don't really go too deep into um utah last year showed us maybe that shouldn't be the case um with both the ray guy and the um the lou groza winners at punter and kicker Charlie Kubander is uh, our number one kicker. Hopefully he's going to be healthy. Uh, Daniel Kubiak is going to be our punter. Um, Andrew David, I guess, the grad transfer, uh, is going to be the number two. Returner, Riley Lees will be fair catching for the on, on punt returns. And um, he and Berkeley Holman will be our kick returners. TJ Green at Holder, I, I saw some people on the boards were hand wringing on that like oh that that just mean you know don't worry about it if he's got the best hands and can hold well great let him hold we've seen starting quarterbacks hold for for field goals that adds a wrinkle of potentially uh fake i don't know but um i'm I'm not worried about the the green as holder you know maybe tipping the hand 
I mean, if anything, it probably means that Hunter's the starter. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, I, again, it's like that's certainly the speculation, and, and, you know, I'd love for that to be true. You're absolutely right. We're going to get the, the Riley Lees fair catch parade um, on punts. Um, and it's funny. I mean, yeah, we know we've got guys like, you know, Triple J and, and, uh, and again, Berkeley Holman, who's listed as backup punt returner and, I guess, co-kick returner. Doubt they're going to get many opportunities. But it's like, don't worry. These guys and Kyrick, too, these guys that are crazy fast, they're going to find ways to show out on the wide receiver core. Like, I, this is not something that I'm worried about. Um, there are a lot of weapons. I mean, this, good Lord. I mean, the, you got the, the two deep, the six-man wide receiver two deep. And I love all these guys. And in this group does not include Genson Hooper Price, among others. So Bryce Kurtz, you know, being another one. So I'm, I'm just fine. We've never been a team that that you know, with the exception of one Venric Mark, um, has never really made our bones that way. So I, I'm totally fine with that group. I'll and, say this too. Like I think this is worth mentioning with when it comes to special teams. On the flip side, the improvement in coverage of the Northwestern special teams is probably like the number one thing that has changed in the almost 20 years now that I've been a fan of this team. Um, we've, we've gotten quite good at that. And I think the coaching staff has just gotten a lot better at figuring out who to play and how to deploy them on special teams. And you look at a guy, well, I'm going to point to Joe Bergen, a guy who's earned the number one Jersey this year has been a contributor in that space. Like, they find whether it's whether it's walk-ons or young guys, the the new redshirt rules certainly help in this space. But we've just seen like it's it's kind of become less of a problem. And, and I think back to that uh, that bowl game, which one? It was it was against Missouri in what two thousand and eight when. Uh, sorry, we uh, we kicked to Jeremy Macklin and we shouldn't have, and he uh, he took it to the house on us, and that was that. Um, I know there was a kickoff at Minnesota about three year, two or three years ago as well. I was I was in the house for that for both those games, um, but generally, like this has been an area of strength for Northwestern uh, in in the Pat Fitzgerald the the second half of the Pat Fitzgerald area era, and I expect that conti- to continue this season. So we've talked about the offense, we've talked about the defense, we've talked briefly special teams. Um, obviously, Stanford this weekend. Uh, you know what? What are we expecting? Uh, we we've, we've talked about that from on the offensive side. We have talked about it on the, on the defensive side. Let's quickly um, run through the schedule again. You know we we talked about all these teams in order, but uh, you know let let's let's kind of get on the get on the record here with with some predictions on on what we think we're gonna we, we're gonna be looking at this year. I, I we we painted a rosy picture. Um, could things go south? Absolutely. Could things go even better than they did last year? Absolutely. I, I think the 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 floor for this team is probably like as low as five wins. It that could happen if things really turn in, in a bad bad way. I think the ceiling ten or eleven. Sure. I mean, if you ask me how many teams on our schedule am I confident that we can that we can beat, it's solidly eleven out of our twelve opponents. Um, do I think we'll get there? No, I'm realistic. Um, but 
I do kind of find myself going more glass half full than glass half empty. Um, I, if you ask me what worries me the most, it is furiously Isaiah Bowser staying healthy. That's it. Um, I, but again, I think for everyone who's like, boy, we had trouble running the ball last year. Again, have faith in Kurt Anderson and have faith in the same kind of situation where we had one running back start for us for four years and that can happen. Um, the, the, that can come together. And in a world where that comes together, I, I'm pretty rosy on this team because I think the defense is just going to be so good. And and again I and again so good we know yes teams are gonna throw four yards on us and that's part of the plan and we deal with it and we find ways to win through that so I I do I come out more rosy overall and do I think we're gonna win eleven games no do I think we're gonna win five hell no all right so as as we go through the schedule we we open up obviously this weekend. At Stanford, three o'clock central on Fox. Um, what do you guys think? I think it's a win. I do. I think if it was later in, if if we were being more bit by the injury bug than it currently seems like we are, I'd be more worried. But the bottom line is, I see a way for us to move the ball on this team, and I believe that we can deal with what they want to throw at us on the other side of the ball. Yeah, I agree. I I think our our staff is better than Stanford's too. Um, you know, we've we have plenty of complaint about Mick McCall and Fitz and the general kind of conservative approach that they take. Stanford does that even more than we do. Um, and I like I like the setup, even though we're going up against a really tough QB. You know, this is I, I think we talked about it in the preview pod. This is not Jim Harbaugh Stanford. Like they have they have not stayed at that high level. They've kind of slowly, slowly trended ever so slightly down, down, down over the, over the years since he left um, while the PAC 12 has gotten worse and worse. And I just, you know, when you look at, I talked about Notre Dame and Utah last year, those two teams both kicked the crap out of Stanford. The lot- we did pretty, Sorry. we did pretty darn well in both of those matchups. So um, that gives me a lot of hope. I know there's been, you know, changeover for both squads going into this year, but but it feels good to me. The line is Stanford by six and a half. The over under is 46 and a half. Um, if I were a betting man and I, I'm not, uh, I'll give, give me the cats. Take the under, take the cats. So, uh, after we have a bye week next week, um, come home against UNLV. We talked about, the, the worries and, and issues that we have, like concerns we have going into that game. Um, definitely there, there's a lot of red flags, but uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give us a W on that one. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll be one of those, take the W, let us never speak of again, and on we go to week three or game three. I, I think we're something like 21-point favorites in places where that is on the board, which is just laughable. Oh, um, dear oh, yeah. God. Don't, don't, like, don't, take the, don't take those points. This is going to be a close game, uh, or at least a lot closer than all of us want, us want it to be. Like, just like have a glass of wine and close your eyes, and it'll be over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, week three at home against Michigan State. I mean, 
this one, like, do you watch Northwestern Michigan State football? Like, there are guys on this team who've been there for three years or who are entering their fourth year with the program who have yet to lose to Michigan State. Yes, they do things really well. We play awesome against them, and we get them at home. So I'm calling a big old fat W on this one. They're a great matchup for us, and I think we we approach this game differently as a coaching staff because of who they are and how they operate, and we, we go into this game with a different mindset, and as a result, yeah, the, 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 the we've won the last three. I, until Michigan State shows us something more than they have in the past, um, I feel good about the Cats here. It's the first conference game. This is when uh, McCall opens up the playbook beyond just page one. Um, he goes all the way to page two. And, uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll give us a W here. The, the, this is also the game where we really find out what our O-line is made of. Yep. Uh, week four at Wisconsin. Um, this, this got, if we, if we were getting them at home, um, and I know we, I mean, we put it on this team last year and I'm, this is, I'm, I'm so on the fence on this one. It's, it's the fact that we're going on the road. Um, and it's it's doable, um, but boy, if I'm if I'm leaning kind of where I feel like I'm leading relative to our overall, like I, it's certainly easy for me to chalk this one up as an L. But again, could we beat this team? Absolutely. I think we're better than them. Um, I think the fact that we're going on the road does make a difference. The the score last year does not reflect how 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 thoroughly we throttled Wisconsin. Um, Certainly a lot of that was due to Jack Cohn having to play for Alex Hornibrook. Well, and, you know, and Jack Cohn was named the starter. Cohn's been named the starter. Um, nobody is super impressed with this kid. He's, you know, he's certainly got a chance, an opportunity here with a, with a great running back. You know, he's, he's, he gets um, a, a, a solid receiver in um, uh What's his name? Um, Quintez Cephas back. Uh, is, is, is Cephas eligible? Yes, Cephas has been, he's been reinstated and he's listed on their two deep as a backup wide, wide receiver. Wow. Okay. Um, so a lot, you know, him with Danny Davis, like I, like that, that team's solid, the quarterback and the defense are the question marks. Um, and if it were at home, I'd a hundred times out of a hundred, I'd pick the cats, uh, being on the road. It just, that's been a house of horrors for us. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to say a loss. Coming right out of the Wisconsin, going back on the road, going to Lincoln. Um, you know, we'll know a lot more about this Nebraska team come October fifth. Uh, you know, we know a lot about them now. We know they have Adrian Martinez. Five weeks in, will they still have Adrian Martinez? We shall see. Um, if they do, they're a better team than if they don't. Because if they don't, they're screwed. Yeah, I just and again, it's like we've. There, you know, been chatter on the rivals boards about our takes about Nebraska and everything, and like I do think they have some pieces. Um, I think they are solidly middle of the West, and yes, I know we're going on the road in this game. I just we are ten. We're just, and I know, and I know it was a tight game last year, but that was because we had our heads stuck up our asses for like the first half of that game, and. We are just a much more complete team than this team. And again, if I eat my words, I eat my words. But I just don't see how we take an L in this game. I I understand the national perception of Nebraska is different than what it is on this podcast. I get it. 
But from where I sit, I just home or road, I don't think this team is in our league. And that's so I'm calling this a win. I to me, Nebraska is all about can you stop the run and can you run? If we can run the ball, we can beat this team. Yeah, a healthy a healthy Isaiah Bowser would be huge in this one for yep. sure. Uh, get, get a little break after Nebraska. Get that bye week uh, before that that Titanic game against Ohio State uh, Friday night. Boy, I mean that, the atmosphere there is going to be electric. I mean Friday night's all it's going to be weird. But it's the only game on TV. the The nation's eyes will be turning to Evanston, Illinois. It, it, it's. I wanted. I we can beat this team, but I don't think we will at this point. So what's funny is if you go back, I don't know, three months ago, two months ago, everyone's talking about Michigan as the the cream of the East, and all the questions circling around Ohio State and when the when when rubber meets the road as predictions have come out this past week it is Ohio State across the board Ryan Day coach of the year Justin Fields newcomer of the year Ohio State to win the the Big 10 East and beat Michigan at Michigan I I actually think that might happen but um people have bought in on the Kool-Aid with this program and whether it's you know the transition from day the relative lack of distractions and weirdness for the first time in many many years with urban meyer no longer there i I don't know what it is i love our chances in this game i really do i just i just love our chances in this game um i you know their offensive line was the absolute core of their identity and their ability to run the ball with ezekiel elliott and then jk dobbins two years ago it's not what it was and they 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 have a really talented guy at quarterback. I, I just don't know how good of a quarterback he is and how disciplined he can be and, and if he can run that offense effectively. Um, I like us to win this game. I I, I love that you love us. I, I love that you like us to win this game. I'm, t- I'm calling this a loss. Um, it's just, I will say, there's a little of, uh, of uh, there's a little Noah Heron in young Mr. Bowser. Yeah, no and, doubt. Oh, for sure. And that would be a nice little bit of uh, of kismet coming together, uh, seeing the same kind of thing in a, on a similar night um, as as that big game, that big win. So um, we know it can be done, and it can be done in Evanston. I'm going to call this a loss, but boy, I tell you, if that loss turns into a W, uh, watch out for what this team can do this season. But but for me, that one's going to be a loss. Uh, the week after at home against Iowa. I mean, coming off, you get a bit of a longer week. I mean a day extra to prep for the Hawkeyes. But um, homecoming against Iowa, God, you know, just Iowa looks really, really good on paper. Let, we'll see what happens when when they start playing the games for real. But, um, you know, I I like our chances here. Iowa's going to be tough. I mean, back-to-back back really hard games. I mean, Ohio State could very easily win the East. Iowa could very easily be the cream of the West. You know, we'll we'll see them both in back to back weeks. Yeah, I think again, for me, this one it's tough. They truly could be the best team. We've had some good luck against them recently, coming off a run where they were just all over us for a string. Um 
I'm, in in the interest of trying to do this fair, and because I I I do believe, despite you know the warts that not just Iowa but everybody in the West seem to have, um, I still think if I wasn't a Northwestern fan and I was coming in and I was going to make one of these ignoring Northwestern reads of the West, Iowa would be my team um, that I'd put on top. So I I'm gonna even though we're at home, um, in the interest of again trying to call this fair. Do I think we could win this game? Absolutely. I'm going to call this one a loss um, and, and in my own particular read of things. I don't think they have the horses to do it to us this year. They, yeah. The, the, the losses at, at tight end to me are, I mean, no college team has ever had two tight ends drafted in the first round. Ever. And Iowa lost those two guys, and I just I I the, the only other person I've heard voice this is Dan Rubenstein on the solid verbal, and he's and and he questioned the same thing I'm questioning: Can they run the ball as effectively? Like a, they struggled a little bit last year to do it really well. Like they didn't have anybody emerge, and without those two guys on the field, it's a different equation. It's the same sort of the thing I'm worried about this year with Northwestern and the loss of Cam Green and, and what happens with that super back position. So I I think um if this was in Iowa City I would chalk it up for the Hawkeyes. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to the Cats. Oh, I was just saying I know that I've got I've got Northwestern winning just about virtually every game. That I've I've got some comeuppance coming. <laughs> November rolls around as we head down to Bloomington to take on the Hoosiers. Um, I know, Scuzz, you were, you were very bullish on Indiana uh, going into this season, especially as, as we previewed their offense. It'll, it'll be tough. I, I, like, I like the W here for the Cats. They're a horrible matchup for us. They're the, they're the worst possible offensive construct for us, and they've named Michael Penix the starter, as I thought they would. Um, if he stays healthy, if their wide receivers are who I think they are, I think we're in trouble. I think we drop one after, after the emotion of a big homecoming win. I think we lose at Indiana. I'm going to give us the win here. Uh, obviously both of these, there's, there's a bunch of similarities over this team and the next team. And, um, ultimately, I, you know, I put it up and I'm like, yes, I, there are certainly certain things that scare me, but unlike other teams on the schedule, this is a team we can for sure move the ball against in multiple ways. And I, I think given that, and given that I think we have a, the ability to more than trade blows with a team like this, and that I think our overall unit strengths across both teams are way above what Indiana's throwing out, even though it's on the road, I'm giving us the win. Hey, Nebraska fans. If y'all had the rest of Indiana's offense and Adrian Martinez, then I think that the hype would be real. <laughs> uh, November 9th, you know, the, the other half of the Hoosier combo as uh, Purdue comes in to Evanston. Um, later, later in the season, injuries are going to be a factor on, on both sides. You know, Purdue on paper scares me. Not enough to to think that we're going to lose to them. So, Scuzz certainly in the Purdue preview mapped out a terrifying picture of their offense. It certainly helps that we get them at home. Um, again, last year's worst pass defense in the conference by a lot. 
Uh, and this is a team that, again, you can move the ball either way on them. We get them at home. This is the last one for me on the schedule that I'm really like very, you know, very wavery on. And for me, you know, this kind of represents a relatively large pivot point in terms of how I think Northwestern's going to do. But I believe in this team. I think overall this team has much more top to bottom strength than Purdue does. And I think that will carry the day. They have the best wide receiver core of the conference. Um, and I don't think it's particularly close. But unlike Indiana, they have a statue playing quarterback, and I think that's the difference. I think the Cats win this. November 16th, UMass win. Yep. yep. November 23rd, oh, yeah. at home against Minnesota. Again, we talked about it, and I know if we got some some disagreement online, and I know some people are looking at them as, as a sleeper pick. I just don't see it. I don't think this is a particularly good team on either side of the ball. Um, I know some people have talked about potential players they've got on wide re- at wide receiver. Someone's got to get those guys the ball. I know Ibrahim is a good player for sure. Guess what? Last year, Minnesota against any team who could stop the run did nothing. So, and then uh, on the flip side, like, their defense ain't, ain't that great. And it's moving in the wrong direction and we can move the ball against them and... Like, that's it. I just don't – and we're at home. I don't have worries about this. One of the things that's funny to me is some of the pushback we got on both Minnesota and Nebraska was about how great the, their stable of running backs is, which is certainly legit from a depth perspective. At the same time, you're generally only playing one of those guys at a time. I am not concerned about Minnesota. This Unlike, unlike Indiana, this is a phenomenal matchup for us, and – um we like one of the things they have going for them is their physicality and the way they they they're built in northwestern's image they're built in northwestern's image they are what we were like four years ago yeah and we're yeah we do it better and and we're at home november 30th at illinois win win yeah that's a win Uh, all right let's do the math i mean we're looking at like two or three losses for me, I think it's a situation where I mean, I, I think I have us at six and three in the conference, nine and three overall. I doubt that means we're winning the West. Um, and again, it, it could tip other ways. Now, again, it's like, do we necessarily? You know, I have us taking losses to Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Iowa. That's losing three of four games in a four-game stretch where all four games are winnable. Okay. On the other hand, I have us beating Indiana and Purdue. I kind of feel like that's a pretty fair compromise and a pretty fair way to lay this out. But again, I think in a situation where we have three conference losses, there'd have to be a heck of a lot of carnage for, let's say, Iowa to not end up higher in the pecking order. So I think I put us nine and three, uh, six and three in conference and in probably a second or third place finish in the West. Well, the, the, the path for Iowa to lose three is probably most likely at Michigan hosting Penn state and at Northwestern. So that, that, that Iowa Northwestern game to me, that is the linchpin for the conference this year. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, I do think the margins, like if, if we go seven and two in conference and pick up that Iowa win two losses and a tiebreaker over Iowa probably gets us to Indy. Yep, and that and that's basically the difference between you and me, John. Like I know I've got Ohio, us beating Ohio State, but losing to Indiana. Like 
I, I used to say this, this, this mantra all the time, like Northwestern is going to win a game. They shouldn't, and they're going to lose a game. They shouldn't. I'm, I'm kind of leaning in that direction, but it, but from the conference perspective, it evens out. And I have us beating Iowa. You have us losing to Iowa. That's the tipping point. Um, and, and to me, like Wisconsin and re- probably ends up more in like the five, six range. Um, and remember, and, and just for a dose of perspective, right? That's the tipping point, regardless of how the Stanford game goes. Yeah, we'd, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd like to win it, but the tipping point will come later. It's really important to remember that. The the, the early season has been a disaster for three years running. Um, we would all love to change that, but the the realistic goals of this team are not to get to the playoff and contend for a national championship. I mean, they're, they're, that's what they want it to be the goal, but it, you know, you're right. The realistic somebody goal. Has, yeah. So, somebody asked us on Twitter earlier today, like what would we rather have? Like, let's say this team goes 11 and one has a dream season. What would we rather be like a big underdog against Clemson or Alabama in the playoff or going to the Rose bowl with a, with a chance to, to win. I would take the latter every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Yeah. We want that. Yeah. We want the big 10. We want that Big Ten championship and, uh, and yeah, the trip that comes with it. Winning the West, and again, it's like I, I, it, there's certainly a road to get there. I think 7-2 and two in conference would for sure get it done. Like I said, I have us at 6-3. and three. Um, I think 9-3, and 6-3, and three, or 8-4, and 6-3 and three, um, is, is very, a very likely and reasonable outcome. Um, and, yeah, just a little bit of a tipping point beyond that might be all we need to, to win the West again. But even even at six and three, if the losses are to Ohio State and Indiana, I mean, if we can take care of business in the West like we did last year, I mean, we haven't lost a game against a Western opponent in two years, a year and a half. I mean, knock on some wood, please, yep, my friend. Yep, yep, for sure. <laughs> but for sure, it's it's there. Yeah, no, I mean that that makes a difference. Iowa has also got you know their 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 other two most likely losses are from Eastern teams as well. So. Um, that's, you know, that's the tricky one. It's, and it's interesting. Like we did, we've been doing these previews for many, many years now, and we've, we've often been, been wrong. We've generally been pretty close on Northwestern. And when, when it hasn't gone right, you know, there's been catastrophic injury or, you know, that 2013 season where literally everything went wrong for like five games in a row. Um, but even even opponents, you know, we, we kind of called uh, the the rise of Penn State, the fall of Michigan State. We've been um, pretty accurate when it comes to our in conference rivals. Um, I think I think we did miss pretty big the year that Iowa went undefeated. We we had thought they were going to be pretty pretty crap that season, but um, I think we've got a pretty healthy perspective on on the way this all lays out, and and the pathway is there, and the pathway is clear, and and I. I'll, I mean, I'll certainly say, too, I mean, we've all been hedging so much. If Hunter Johnson plays like a top 25 overall player in the nation, five-star recruit coming out of high school, and Isaiah Bowser stays healthy the whole year, we're better than 11 of the 12 teams on our Ooh, schedule. Oh, boy. Yep. Uh, and that's so, I mean, again, it's like we've all been hedging against that. But it's, and it's, and of course, it's these are massive ifs, and that's why we've all been wringing our hair about all this drama and everything like that. But... That is absolutely true. If he plays like one of the best quarterbacks in the conference and Bowser stays healthy, everything else is here to certainly win the West again. And here's um, here, here's the great thing. 
it's Tuesday night. We have only a few more days of if left to yes. left to do. Come exactly. Saturday, we're gonna know a lot more. Yep. And and it's be- what one one more if. Uh who do you guys think wins the East? I think it's Michigan. And I in my dream scenario is we went to Indy to play Ohio State last year, we get Indy against Michigan this year. That's that's the dream. I think uh I, I still think for all your all the points you made about all this late horn tooting about Ohio State after so much Michigan, I still think it's Michigan's to, to give away. It's Michigan's so, to give away, but I think they will. I, I just have a gut feeling like Harbaugh's going to do something, something wonky's going to happen, like they're going to lose to Michigan State when they when they shouldn't. Um, I, 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 so, I'm going to Ohio so State. Here's my dream scenario. Michigan State loses to Northwestern, loses on the road to Wisconsin, but somehow and then, beats... And then goes on a holy tear. <laughs> well, somehow beats both Michigan and Ohio State. Going into the last week of the season, this is Michigan's only loss. And somehow, in the year when everything was supposed to come together, they inexplicably lose to Ohio State at home, springboarding the Spartans into the Big Ten Championship game. It, 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 giving us our giving us a perfect matchup in Indianapolis. Yes, yes. That would be, we can dream. It could all come together, people. We are as excited as you guys are. I mean, this is we've we're, we've worked through everything, and again, like we feel like we're trying not to drink the Kool Aid. We're trying to be reasonable. We've certainly addressed plenty of problems and negatives, um, but it's okay to stop and think of the totally reasonable ways that things could break in our favor. And and the, the the roadmap that that would be. So um, again, regardless, I think we all seem to be under the consensus that we're going to have a good team this year. It's just the question is how good. So real quick before we go, I'm just going to read through the rest of the Big Ten schedule for uh, opening weekend. Uh, oh no! Just oh, no. you know, everyone just take a drink. It, it'll be it, we'll get through this as quick as we can. Uh, South Dakota State at Minnesota, Tulsa at Michigan State, Wisconsin at South Florida, UMass at Rutgers, Purdue at Nevada, Florida Atlantic at Ohio State, South Alabama at Nebraska, Howard at Maryland, Akron at Illinois, Indiana at Ball State in Indianapolis, Idaho at Penn State, Middle Tennessee at Michigan, and Miami, Ohio at Iowa. Okay. Ew. (laughs) I... If, so I'll, ju- I'll if, just tell if, you, like, there is a very, very real chance that there would be only one loss of in the Big Ten this week, and it'll be it could be us. All I care about is this year. I want the best team in South Alabama not to be Florida State. I want it to be South Alabama, and I want them to start it off by putting it on <laughs> Nebraska. <laughs> That's how we'll know this is going to be a special oh. season. Come on, South Alabama. And like the the crazy thing is you even you look around the top twenty five, there's nothing compelling this weekend. I mean, okay, you got the holy war, Utah BYU, but eh, that that's lost a lot of uh, cachet over the past years. Um Utah should be re- should be really, really good. I also on Thursday night, Georgia Tech and Clemson playing the first ever game on the ACC network. So it you know You'd love to think that that's a big deal, but you know Georgia Tech is not going to do anything to Clemson. Um, I know where I'll be on Thursday night, and it will be a big deal. 
Chip Kelly coming to Cincinnati. There you go, buddy. And and the the Cincinnati Bearcats are um, squarely in the race uh, to be the best team in the Group of Five, alongside um, you know Houston and Fresno. I believe are probably the other two most likely. Memphis you, as well. Are you envisioning like a blood sport Chong Lee kind of thing where at the end Cincinnati's standing on top of Chip Kelly pointing toward Columbus going, you, you're next. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I'm just, I'm really excited to see, to, to, to be able to watch Chip Kelly prowl the sidelines and see what that looks like and see, see where he's got UCLA I, that they're going to be going, going up against a really good defense. This is, this is like a legit, really good game. This isn't even like a, uh, ooh, look who's gonna you know stab themselves in the face. I, I will say, guys, you have seen Chip Kelly r- r- walking the sidelines before. Oh uh, man! Oh, you had to go there. I was not oh, there. Oh, you weren't. I was not there. Okay, that was that was the day that you all flew the flag at half mast because it was the first home game I had missed in roughly nine years. It was for good reason because I'm married to her now. But uh, <laughs> I did not see the New Hampshire loss. I was. I was at uh, Notre Dame, Penn State. All right, then. I'm, I, so far in the rearview mirror those days. <laughs> we're, we're taking names now. Um, another, I guess, the, the biggest game on the docket is the Oregon-Auburn game um, yeah. at, uh, at Jerry World. There's just nothing else of any note. I mean, the Monday night game, Notre Dame at Louisville. That the, the, the Labor Day night game, yeah, yeah. Florida State Boise even is kind of like because I like Boise's starting a freshman QB, and I don't know that they are what they what they were with with the changeover of coach and everything. Um, and then Florida State, like ew, I, like who knows what's going on there? They're gross. Yeah, in general, they always have been. Um, the point is, there's only one game that matters this week, and. It, and it's at 3 p.m. on Fox on Saturday afternoon. That's right. Uh, so let's go ahead and leave it there for this week. Um, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates. You can email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo. I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.